of your sleep, I'm about to wake you up because God's got a word for us today. Hey, if you haven't uh, been here the past couple of weeks, we began a new series called The Spoken Word. We've had a we're having a few different pastors speak on this, so I'm Rob. I actually get to oversee our Sunday evening service here called Sanctuary, and we call you all the early risers, because apparently 10 o'clock is early for us 20-somethings. Hey, we're glad that you're here, though. We, I'm, I'm honestly so happy to be here with each and every one of you. We're going through this series called The Spoken Word, and pretty much what we're doing is we're going through some Old Testament prophets and reading it with a New Testament lens. We're, we're seeing how things point back to Jesus and what that means for us today. So I believe that even though uh, where we're reading from today was written and recorded thousands of years ago, that it still has relevance and meaning to where we're going to be going outside these doors after church and how we kind of progress throughout our week and our life. But before I jump into the Word, I'm just going to pray uh, over everything, over us and what God's about to do here. So God, we, we come before you today, honored to be in your presence, honored to be in community with such an incredible church, surrounded by uh, just people that we love and that support us, that love us, God, that are on this journey together with us. God, here's, here's my prayer for this morning, that you will take this one word that you gave me and that you're gonna divide it into thousands of different ways throughout the rest of the Sunday so that it speaks to each and every one of us individually and uniquely to meet us exactly where we are. We know that you can do it. We're believing you for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I work here. And I love it. It's amazing. But one of my least favorite times on the workday is the drive to work. You see, I live, in, uh, I live in Bridgeport, Connecticut. My wife and I and our son, we live in Bridgeport, and we pretty much take Black Rock Turnpike the entire way here. Now, obviously, everyone here has driven on Black Rock Turnpike before. Otherwise, unless you were helicoptered in, I don't know, maybe you're really lucky and you got a sweet helicopter and you like landed on the roof, but everyone else has driven on Black Rock Turnpike before. So, so I, I consider myself a pretty tame driver. My, my friends and my wife, maybe not as much. And, you know, just a spiritual soul check for me, how I know when my heart is in, like, an okay place and when it's like, God, I need Jesus right now, is by not how much road rage I have, but how quickly I get my road rage. So I'm driving on Black Rock Turnpike this morning. It's early. There's, like, hardly any people on the road. I'm driving on my way here. And I'm passing the plaza over by Dunkin' Donuts, and homeboy decides to cut me off. I'm like, there's nobody else in the road. You were, like, waiting for at least 10 seconds. Like, did you see me coming? I, I drive a big yellow Jeep. How can you miss me? And this dude just decides to cut me off. And I'm like, oh, Lord, not today. Not today. You know I'm preaching. You know that I have that sanctuary sticker on the back of my car. Some of you might have the Black Rock sticker on the back of your car. For you, it's like you're hoping to bring people into this beautiful church. For me, it's like an accountability sticker of like, if I'm going to be giving anyone the finger, it's going to be a good old thumbs up. Like, <laughs> I don't, I, I need it to keep me accountable <laughs> and to control me. So I'm driving, this guy cuts me off, and I'm like, I'm sitting there hoping, 
Lord, I pray that there is an officer right around the corner that is just hiding and waiting to get this guy that cut me off on my way to church. But then, as I'm driving, on, I'm, I'm reflecting on some times, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good driver. Been pulled over once, maybe twice. And I think of how I've reacted when I've been pulled over. And it, it's all of a sudden like mood change. It's like, officer... Looking really good in that uniform today. Hey, you know what? I, I'm, I work at a church. We believe in grace. Can, can you just show me a little bit of grace? Uh, as, and so this perspective change, this, this shift in the mind of wanting justice for these people that cut me off, but then mercy for myself is kind of the story that we are landing ourselves in this morning. We're going to look at this prophet his name is Jonah, and this is a guy that wanted justice for people that made him mad, but mercy only for himself. So we're going to go through Jonah. It's in the Old Testament, as I mentioned earlier. Jonah is a minor prophet. Doesn't mean he has a minor role. Just means his book is pretty short. It's four chapters. It's a one sit-down read. I'm actually going to pick up towards the end of the story in chapter 3, verse 10, and read to the end, but I'm going to kind of catch us up to speed on what happens in those first three chapters. Because you might have heard of Jonah before. I even had friends that I was talking to outside of the church earlier this week who were like, oh yeah, Jonah, that's that guy that got like swallowed by a whale, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's the one. Um, so, so Jonah is this guy. Chapter one begins, it says that God spoke to Jonah. He, he gives him a message to go and preach to this huge city of Nineveh. And he's like, hey, I've seen what they're doing. I don't like what they're doing. Tell them to go and turn around, turn their ways. Tell them to stop going in the wrong direction. Instead, go in my direction. That, that's a paraphrase for what happens. So you know what Jonah does? Because he, he's just like such a shining and bright example of what you do when God speaks. He gets a boat ticket to go immediately to Tarshish, which was the complete opposite direction of where Nineveh was. So Jonah pays for his ticket, goes as far away as possible to this place called Tarshish. And all of a sudden what happens is there's this storm that comes. It gets really crazy. You know that it's crazy when there are sailors on the ship that are like praying for their dear lives, asking for their mama, praying to whatever they can to, that this storm will just calm down. And while this storm is going on, while these sailors that don't know who God is are, are crying out to their false gods, they, they go to Jonah and they're like, Jonah! Or they don't even really know his name. They're like, hey, buddy, guy that's sleeping in the dock. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, wake up, pray to something, pray to someone. What is happening here? And Jonah's like, you know what? I'm a little groggy right now. But I'm, I, I, can, I can tell you that this storm is actually because of me. And he, he tells them what they had done. He's like, the storm is going to stop if you throw me overboard. They're like, that seems a little bit crazy. So they try to paddle back to shore unsuccessfully, and they're like, okay, this ship is about to break apart. Like, we're going to pray to Jonah's God right now. God, we don't want his blood. We don't want his life on our hands. But whatever we do next, like, we're not guilty of it. So they toss Jonah overboard, and he goes into the sea, and then it says that God sent this whale or big fish, um, different translations, to, and it swallows up Jonah. End of chapter one. Scene two, chapter two. Chapter two begins. Jonah's in this belly of the whale. 
And the entire chapter is Jonah just praying and actually singing praises to God while he's inside this large fish. When this, this was a really neat revelation for me when I was reading the story, because I typically stop at chapter one, it's like, oh man, a guy got swallowed by a fish, that's awesome, done. Like, that's enough of my reading for today. Chapter two, Jonah's actually praising God for this big fish. He's saying things like, God, I was about to drown at sea. As a matter of fact, there was seaweed wrapped all around my head and neck, but you sent this fish and it saved me from the depths, and, and God... I'm going to obey what you say because salvation is yours and yours alone. So there's this perspective change that happened within me where previously growing up in Sunday school and watching VeggieTales, I always saw like this fish and this whale as punishment from God for Jonah. But actually, this was not punishment. This was God's protection to Jonah. This was God protecting him and bringing him back to where he should have been going all along, bringing him back in, his, in the direction. He got, God extending mercy to Jonah and bringing him back on the path that he had him. So Jonah gets spit up by the fish, and now we enter into chapter three, scene three. So chapter three begins. It says that Jonah is obedient to God. He takes off immediately and goes to Nineveh, and he preaches this word. We don't have the entire message, but this is what we do have. He says, Hey, God has noticed what you're doing. Turn from your ways, or this place will get, like, wrecked. So you know what the Ninevites replied with? They said, okay. Actually, the matter of, as a matter of fact, the Bible says that from the nameless to the famous, from the busboy to the billionaire, from the powerful to the powerless, everyone decided to turn from their evil ways and step into the way that God had for them. And we pick up now in verse 10 with how God replies to these people repenting. It says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. You know why God does that is because he delights in showing mercy. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So what did he do? He did probably what you and I would do. He complained to the Lord about it. He goes, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Now, now Jonah enters as a huge drama queen. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. He's in the Middle East. It's hot. Sometimes shade in the Middle East, if you've ever been, is like good, really good for the soul. So that's what God is doing here. He, he cools off Jonah's hot head, and it says that this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant, but God also arranged for a worm. Illustration coming. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Oh my gosh, this guy. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because a plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. 
It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's where the story of Jonah ends, just like that. It's kind of abrupt. I'm like, as I was reading it again this week, I'm like anticipating a chapter five here. I'm like, God, where, where's chapter five? I want to know what happens next. I want to know if Jonah's going to reply again in his unjustified anger or if he's finally going to let go of his anger. And instead of just receiving your mercy, God, if he's going to decide to release it instead. I want to know what happens. But I think that although we can make fun of Jonah, and although his story is comical at points, that we can easily put ourselves in Jonah's shoes. We can easily think of times where maybe we've harbored anger instead of harboring God's mercy. And that, that's where I want us to land today. If you forget anything else from this morning by lunchtime, it, but remember this one thing. Remember this. It's a, it's a simple heart check that I want us to do this week. Is your heart harboring anger or is it harboring mercy? So I have just a few points for us this morning from this story, from the, the story of Jonah, of what it looks like to harbor an angry heart, harbor anger, or harbor mercy. So the first thing that I noticed from the story is that anger is rooted in opinion while mercy is rooted in obedience. Anger is rooted in opinion while mercy is rooted in obedience. You know, verses 1 through 2 in chapter 4 completely reveal Jonah's heart. It, it, it completely shows why he headed out to Tarshish to begin with. Another translation says Jonah was furious at God. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. I've yelled at God before. And he says, God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I, you see, you can read the rest, but Jonah is not upset about the message he has to give to the people. You know what he was angry about? He was angry because he knew what God's response would be. He knew that God would reply with mercy. He knew that the people might change their ways or probably would change their ways and that God would change his mind on, on, on what he was going to do. You know what happens here? You know what didn't happen here, rather? God never turned to Jonah and said, Hey, uh, Jonah, before I send you out, I, I just want to get your opinion on, uh, on the Ninevites. What do you think of them, man? Like, honestly, be real with me. I want you to be real with me. Tell me what you think about these Ninevites. Oh, man, well, they're violent, and they live in a city, and I'm a country boy. You know, there's that city-country rivalry. I, I don't really like them all that much. You know, God didn't ask for Jonah's opinion. He asked instead for his obedience. God does the same for us. He doesn't ask for our opinions on people. He asks that we will obey him and love people regardless of the circumstance, regardless of their situation, regardless of what they've done to you, regardless of how you felt wronged. God has called us to love people. He has called us to not hold on to our opinions because guess what? There's a saying that, man, I'm holding a grudge. People hold grudges is a common saying. But I want to flip that saying on its head and instead say, grudges hold grudges people. Grudges hold people. Grudges hold people from stepping into what God has called them to do. And that's exactly what happens to Jonah here multiple times. His journey is delayed because he placed his opinions 
over just obeying what God said. Amen. You guys can talk to me a little bit. We talk a little bit at Sanctuary. If this is speaking to you, I'm all about that. Let me get some charismatic shouts in here. Here's the next thing I notice from this story is that anger wishes the worst while mercy sees the best. Anger wishes the worst while mercy sees the best. So Jonah, he, he's mad, of course. He's mad at the situation. He's mad that God changed his mind. As a matter of fact, it says that, I, I love this one translation where he says, I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So what does that mean to you and me? How, how does that apply to you today? Well, I can think of some times where uh, maybe somebody has slighted me, made a little bit of a sarcastic joke, or it was a little bit worse, and they, they take credit for the work that I've done, or, or maybe it was a person that is just talking negatively about, you know, how I speak or what I do or whatever it is, and, and somebody just like kind of slights me and gets me angry. And the inside of me, I might be silent on the outside, but the inside of me is like, do you even know me? I am Portuguese. I have tons of passion within me. You don't even want to see that passion unleashed. So then I go, and in, in my natural, like my fleshly self, I go, and it's like I'm scheming the rest of the day. It's like I'm just waiting to see that person. Oh, yeah, I'm hanging out by the water cooler. You see me filling up my water bottle, but I'm just waiting for you to say something or do something where it's like I got your moment. And, of course, that doesn't happen here at BlackRock. I don't do that here. I, I work in a church. Um, doesn't happen, ever. It, this is not me. <laughs> this, is, this is previous Rob. So, so I'm just, like, waiting for that moment, waiting for that opportunity. Or then I, I kind of pull, like, the Christian card and I, I, I use up my prayer time with God to then be praying things like, Lord, we're tight. We've talked a few times uh, today about this very situation. God, I pray that just as this person's going to sleep tonight, that you will like convict them and bring what they said to me back to their mind. And that right as they're about to fall asleep, they, they just can't fall asleep because they're thinking about how rude they were to me and how, how just, man, they, I, I need to send Rob a huge apology text at 3 in the morning. Uh, like, I, God, just convict them a little bit. Let them feel what they did just a little bit. You know what? We got to shift our mindset. I got to shift my mindset. I got I to, gotta, instead of taking in the insult and receiving it, I got to become unoffendable and think things like, you know what? He didn't mean it. You know, my, my family member, although they were caught off guard in this time, they, they were just caught off. They, were, they didn't really mean to say that about me. They don't really feel that way. They, they didn't mean that. I, I want to see the best, not wish the worst in people. You know, maybe that person, they're just having a tough day. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what their family story is like. Maybe that vacation that they just came from was actually really tough for them because they're in the midst of a really difficult situation. I'm, I'm just going to think and believe the best over people. You know who does this really well? It's my beautiful wife, Hannah. And, and going back to driving, when, when she's driving the car and I'm in the passenger seat and somebody cuts her off, even though we've had the green light for like five seconds and somebody still blows through a red light, like, Fairfield, come on. 
And somebody cuts her off, and I feel like it's my duty and my job to reach over and lay on the horn and just let them know a little bit of what they just did. I mean, we don't have a baby on board sticker on the back, but we got a baby in the car. Come on. But Hannah immediately swats my hand away and goes, honey, that person is rushing to the hospital because his wife is giving birth. Like, what? Or, you know, you know what, that, that, that mother, she's just running late to her kid's soccer practice. That's why they blew through the red light. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I doubt it. I see them pulling into the BJ's parking lot right after. And she's like, well, they're picking up orange slices for the kids' soccer games. I'm like, come on. And you know what, it irks me in the moment. It irks me so much. I'm like, how could you be this kind to people? But then it cools me off. Helps to get a little bit of perspective and release mercy to those that cut me off on Black Rock Turnpike. Here's another thing that I noticed from Jonah's story is that anger quits while mercy continues. Anger quits while mercy continues. So verses 3 through 4 in chapter 4, Jonah, being the drama queen that he is, says, So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. And God said, What do you have to be angry about? Here's the next verse. But Jonah just left. Jonah just left. Another translation, Jonah quit. He quit. So he just had, arguably, I'm jealous as a pastor. Jonah preached like a simple little message and 120,000 people decided to follow God and turn their ways. You know what Jonah does? He quits. He gives up. He's actually mad at the response. He leaves. He, he goes outside of the city. He quits. And you know what Jonah missed out on? This is the really sad part of the story, is that Jonah completely misses out on the opportunity to now go and display to these people who God says, don't know my ways, but God is saying to Jonah, you do know my ways. You grew up in the temple. You had all of David's psalms memorized. You are singing and praising in my temple. You know my ways, Jonah. But Jonah decides to quit instead of showing these people what it is like to live a godly life, what it is like to live in the abundance that Jesus has for us, what it is like to live in the abundance and greatness of, of the life that God has chosen for you and for me. He completely misses out on the opportunity because he quits instead of staying with them. Completely misses out. You know, there are two types of people in Jonah's story. I've been on both sides of the coin. There are the types of people who can't accept that God can be merciful to the worst of sinners. And then there are those who are the worst of sinners in whom God's mercy sounds so sweet. Which person are you? Which person am I? Am I the type of person that as God's mercy comes for me each and every day, the psalm says, new mercies come each and every morning. And it comes even more often than that, friends. As God's mercy comes for you, are you able to release his mercy from you to others? Don't quit. Continue. Stick with what God has for you. Does your heart harbor anger or mercy? Here's the last thing that I noticed from Jonah's story. Is that anger isolates, mercy engages. Anger isolates while mercy engages 
Verse 5 says, but Jonah just left. He went out of the city to the east and sat down in a sulk. He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. This is really interesting. You know why? Because Jonah is so stubborn and set in his ways that he completely isolates himself from what God has called him to, goes outside of the city in a sulk, it says, sets up a makeshift hut, and is watching with anticipation to see what would happen to the city. In other words, Jonah is waiting to see fireworks displayed, not over the city, but in the city. Jonah is really upset. He, he's like waiting for like, like that, that kind of like Greek mythology type God to like send down lightning bolts and like dis- zap people God. Like I, I, he's still waiting to see this. He isolated himself. He didn't engage with the community. And, and here's what's interesting about Jonah's story too is that we have this example of where he has this makeshift shelter, this makeshift hut outside of the city, and then we have the beginning example where he's inside the belly of a fish. You think that he would learn from being in the belly of a fish and as he's praising God for salvation and saying, God, I'm going to obey you. You think that as he was at rock bottom, literally at one point, that he wouldn't isolate himself after he saw what God can do, after he saw what God would do. You see, some of us in here are praying for purpose in our lives right now. And I'm telling you that if you are breathing and if you have breath, air in your lungs, that God already has a purpose for you. And it it doesn't even need to be discovered. The scripture clearly says that our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to be conformed and become more and more like Jesus. Our purpose is to maybe make heaven a little bit more crowded because of the way that I live my life. That's what our purpose is. So Jonah, like you and me maybe, doesn't have a purpose problem. He has a perspective problem. You know, it's really tough to have perspective on what God is really doing when you're inside the belly of a fish or when you're outside of the city that God has called you to. Because here's what I do know, friends, is that an isolated Christian is an ineffective Christian. How much longer, I'm speaking to someone in this room, how much longer are you going to sit outside in your chair of righteousness behind your computer saying about what's wrong with this city and what's wrong with this country and all these different things when God is saying, get in there, or or maybe you're praying in your closet, God, I pray that you will send somebody or that you will just send like someone to to go and fix every problem I see, and God is responding to your prayer. Let me respond for you right now. God is saying, hello, somebody. That's you. That's you. You see a problem? I'm calling you into it because I've given you my spirit. I haven't called you to be an isolated Christian. I've called you to be effective for my purposes so that you can step into your purpose and so that you can step into your destiny that I have for you. And it is, yeah, it's gonna be dirty work, But again, I'm not asking for your opinion. I'm asking for your obedience. Let me bring this a little bit more home for you and me. Maybe it's not just your cities. Sometimes our biggest enemies can be people within our own blood family. Could be our own relatives. You know, I was was recently hearing some family stories, and there was at one point in my family history where somebody was not talked to for 50 years for stealing 50 bucks from my grandpa. 
You know when the family reconnected? At the funeral. It's when they reconnected. See, God has called us to be engaged with each other and engaged with their families. And, you know, I don't know your situation. I don't get to sit down. And I, I wish I could have coffee with each of you right now and hear your story. Let's do a heart check. In your family, are you more concerned with being right than being reconciled? Because you could have totally been in the right. I don't know what the person did to you. I don't know. You could have been completely in the right. They could have been completely in the wrong. But are you, as a Jesus follower, more concerned with being right or being reconciled? I pray this over all of our relationships. You see, because we as Christians, we get to know that mercy is not just a thing. It's not just a good deed. It's not just an attribute. It's actually a person. And the person's name is Jesus. So as we're going through this story, we get to see Jesus' fingerprints all through this. We can go back to each and every one of these points. You know what mercy looks like? Mercy looks like Jesus not holding nasty opinions of us, but obeying God and coming down to this earth and dying for you and for me and for the entire world so that we might step into what he has for us. It looks like obedience even to the point on the cross. That's what mercy looks like. You know what mercy looks like? You know what mercy looks like? Mercy looks like Jesus hanging on the cross, naked in front of his family, in front of his friends, in front of his enemies, in front of his own mom. And he's stripped down and he has a crown of thorns in his head and he's bloody and whipped up and he's, he's suffocating on his own blood because that's what the cross does. And Jesus builds up the audacity to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I'm like, what? Jesus, are you out of your mind? You have all authority on heaven and earth, and that's what you say? You could have just been like, God, zap, 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 zap. Look at all my enemies right there. But Jesus on the cross, for crying out loud, assumes the best, sees the best. Jesus doesn't wish the worst. He sees the best over you and me. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It sure looked like they knew what they were doing when they drove nails into his wrists. It sure looked like they knew what they were doing when they blindfolded him and sucker punched him. It sure looked like they knew what they were doing when they jammed a crown of thorns into his head. But Jesus still sees the best. You know what mercy looks like? When Jesus throughout all these years, has continued with us, has continued with the church. You might be new to church. This might be a groundbreaking moment for you, but newsflash, church history has not been super pretty at all times. It hasn't. We've messed up. We've made mistakes. There have been times where we looked like the complete opposite of what the gospel of Jesus is. But Jesus doesn't quit on the church. He doesn't quit on you and me. He continues with it. He didn't divorce his bride, flaws and all. He's like, I love you, baby. You're my plan. You are my hope for the world. There is no plan B. I'm sticking with you. And he's saying that to you and me. You know what mercy looks like? It looks like Jesus, when he very rightfully 
could have stayed in heaven on his throne, looking from above, isolated from all of our problems, but instead said, I'm going to engage with them because I love them and they have the affection of my heart. They are my greatest affection. Jesus is speaking that to many people this morning. He's speaking that to you and me. He's saying, you are my greatest affection. I love you. I came for you. I'm looking to engage with you right now. Will you give me a chance? That's what we're going to do right now. Will you stand with me as we pray? This is what mercy looks like. This is what Jesus looks like. This is the God who we love and worship and praise and adore. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.